This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 166 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. On this week's pod, we'll dig into the two home losses the Georgia State men's basketball team suffered at the hands of Old Dominion and Marshall, as well as preview the team's final full road trip of conference play. We'll also look ahead to the opening series of the 2023 Georgia State baseball season. But first, basketball. It was an 0-2 week at home. Late game execution at the free throw line let the Panthers down in their 63-60 loss to Old Dominion on Thursday, and a second half 10-0 run to tie the game at 54 was too short a burst to pull off an upset over Marshall as they fell 88-77. They now sit at 10-16 on the year and 3-11 in the Sun Belt, guaranteeing a losing regular season in Jonas Hayes' first season in charge. Gentlemen, lots to discuss from these two games. What you got? Yeah, I mean, it's a different 0-2 than we've seen this year, which maybe speaks to some of the frustration of how low the lows have been, but very attainable games. Both of them in the second half, you were right in there to win. Didn't do it. Let stuff got in the way. You know, I guess singling out the the free throw shooting obviously is the big loud one for the ODU game, but I honestly think it went back to the first half in that one and not taking advantage of literally only allowing five points over the first 10 minutes of the game. Uh, we talked about it some with the Georgia State, Georgia Southern game in Statesboro where it was still somehow kind of a game even after a 13-minute scoring drive for Georgia State. I think it was like 13 or 14 at that point, um, and, but Southern built on it, uh, whereas you know, Georgia State allowed five points in the first 10 minutes against ODU. It ended up down seven at the half, and the, the offense got going in the second half, but that felt like the opportunity where you could have really put some distance in the first half and not let it get down to the stretch where it was going to be about the free throws that ended up not getting made. Yeah, that was a really unfortunate game um, because as you said, the first half they had the opportunities, you know, and I don't want to let them off the hook for the free throws because if they were a little bit better at the free throw line, you know, we're not even talking about the first half because they did play well. And, you know, <laughs> I, I came late to the game, unfortunately, and I think I started at like the 16 mark and it was one to zero and I rewound a little bit. I was like, okay, you know, it must be like a score glitch or something. Let's, you know, let's take it back and get there. And when I finally caught up, I was like, wow, this is an incredibly low scoring game and they figured it out. Like it's, it's frustrating um, because you could definitely see them kind of figuring things out. Like in the second half, they dropped 38 points. Um, they're starting to be a little bit more fluid on offense um, you know, only getting 60, but at least it wasn't in the 50s like some of the other losses. But it's really frustrating watching this team sometimes. They have good defense. Like, I, you say what you want about ODU figuring it out, but it's not like ODU is just missing wide open shots. It's the same things that we've seen with this Georgia State team. Georgia State was getting turnover, forcing turnovers. They were finding ways to affect guys' shots. They were blocking shots. I mean, that's kind of been their recipe the entire season and you know they just have not been able to find consistent offense with it and i mean you look at some of these percentages from the floor i mean it, it it's kind of ugly sometimes yeah to your point on just kind of the weirdness of the game i what i actually wrote down i was watching it in the arena was is everyone okay just because like some of the shots even were just like how they were missing on some of the threes it was like long and just it was clear nobody really had the feel for their shot in the first half, which 
made the second half when everything kind of recovered and they had a great percentage from the floor even more confusing because it just seemed like nothing was in sync and some of the turnovers in the first half were really, really sloppy stuff. And then the second half offense wasn't really the problem. Uh, They made over 60% from the floor in the second half. They didn't really get much better from three, but they stopped taking them at a large clip and that helped out. You know, they were two of 15. Jaheim hit one. Jermaine hit one of the seven that he attempted and, you know, after a while, they started really hammering it inside better, and Dewan had a really good second half, which, again, speaks to something that I wanted to say, is that Dewan is going to bear a lot of that as far as the free throws go because he had a chance to give the Georgia State the lead in the final minute free throws, could have at least tied the game, and he missed both. Had another opportunity in the final 10 seconds. Cut the game, could have cut it back to a one-point game. Or uh, you know, made one and then do the missed free throw thing and try and get a shot. Um, he missed the first one, which kind of limited the options at the end game. He still intentionally missed it anyway, and they couldn't get the ball back, couldn't get a shot, and so the game ended. But you're not really in that game to have those free throws matter without Dewan in that circumstance, and it's not going to be the last time that you're going to rely on him at the line. And earlier in the year, he has been in that situation and made those shots. Not sure what was up on this game. I mean, one of six from free throw is well below his season averages and well below what you would expect. But I kind of, I find it hard to make it like a Dewan Odom thing when I think that he is also a reason why you were back in that game, even though you didn't really do yourself many favors offensively in the first half. That's very true, you know? And I mean, we could sit here and play the what if game a lot because I think this was arguably Colin Moore's worst game since he's been back. Um, only had four points, fouled out, didn't hit any of his threes, you know, didn't have the same level of impact that, um, that you know, we have seen from him. And, I mean, it showed. It definitely showed. Yeah, credit to a guy who's, bare, like, been in a third of the games this year. You know, that it's been this long before you can say he really hasn't had that type of impact on a game. and. As spoiler alert, we'll get to, he got back to it on the Saturday game. <laughs> you know, he absolutely did. And like, it's, it's tough. It's tough when you see something like this because, you know, you could go up and down this box score and say, okay, yeah, if a little bit of things happen differently, then, you know, maybe Georgia State probably ends up with a win. But I mean, credit to Old Dominion. Like, they really gutted out a win. They found a way to withstand what little resistance the Panthers were giving them, especially in the second half. And, you know, that kind of was just a theme for the weekend, I feel like, as it relates to Georgia State. Like, you know, making attempts at taking the lead or, you know, finding, like, stringing together a couple of stops, but just not getting that one knockout punch that they needed to, you know, go over the edge. It's one that I said on last week's pod. It was like, you're going to want to have it at home because of some of the other games left on the schedule that were going to be tougher to win. And that still stands. And I think how it played out, you still feel like it was such a missed opportunity. I just think you kind of have to look at it as it's the same kind of loss this team has taken where just their flaws are too pronounced at key moments and they're not finding ways to win games. They're finding ways to lose them. And a, a year from now, at this point in conference play, you know we're hopefully talking about a Georgia State team that's put some more wins together. And you can look back at these games in a different light where these are the type of games that 
you lose before you find that, you know, whatever experience, that will to win, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's no guarantee that that's the case, but there is the possibility we look back at this ODU loss at home as kind of like a, wow, remember when the team was at that point and look at where they are now. Um, Saturday, I don't really know, again, what to say. I mean, there's an 11-point loss. I think the first thing you mentioned is that you were in the game basically the whole time, which is a big departure from the road game with Marshall up in Huntington that was over very early and got ugly very quickly. Uh, you made them work for it, and you made their two elite guards, Taylor and Kinsey, beat you, and they definitely did. You know, Tavion Kinsey dropped 37. Probably going to be a minute before someone comes into Georgia State Convocation Center and drops that many points again. Like, that record is probably going to stand for a good bit. And just behind him, Andrew Taylor, who got Sunbelt Player of the Week honors, uh, had 26, 5 of 8 from 3. And so... Second half, you went on that run kind of out of nowhere that tied it up again, but you weren't able to sustain the momentum and you weren't able to keep scoring. And that was going to be the important thing because as good as a team as this Georgia State team has been defensively a lot of the year, it was clear on the day that they weren't going to be able to get stops against Marshall very much. And that's what was costing them. So if that was the case, they were going to have to keep scoring. They hit a lull right after that run. So Marshall reopened a double-digit lead, and then just every time they needed to get a stop, they couldn't get a stop. And a lot of it is because Marshall is a good offensive team, and they've got two really good players that are leading them. And you know that's kind of what the story of that game is. And so it's hard to again be really deflated about that one because you gave yourself a chance, and they are the better team this season. Yeah, you know what? We have talked about it on this podcast and off this podcast for what feels like 20 years now. Guard play is what gets you to wins in March. The big tournament, the Sunbelt tournament, that's what it is. Andrew Taylor and Tavion Kinsey had an incredible weekend. And the thing that I appreciated the most about Georgia State, you know, there's no moral victories, obviously. But when Andrew Taylor was going ridiculous from three in that first half, he only hit three. I was surprised to find out just now that he only hit three. Um, but it felt like he had unlimited range. There was a couple late in the shot clock where Georgia State defended it very well, and it just kind of didn't matter, right? Georgia State didn't falter. You know, they were down six at the half. You know, that lead for Marshall got up to, I believe they got up to a pretty sizable lead. Um, Their largest lead on the game was 13. Yeah. So, you know, there was a nice little run that Marshall went on in the early in the second half, you know, sorry, midway through the second half. But Georgia State never, they never just went away. And, you know, I think we've seen with the offensive lulls that this team has gotten into this year, times where they would just go away. You know, that was kind of when Colin Moore really came out and started to shine. You know, you got another good performance from Dewan, who has kind of tapered back the scoring a little bit, but he's he's been busting out of the slump a little bit. You know, you got contributions from Jaheim, you got from Brendan Tucker, you know, Edward Namoko. Hey, hats off. Like, I, I think the one thing that we wanted to see was some offensive growth from Namoko. He only had two shots. Okay, that fine. He did go for th- he did shoot three free throws, but he only had two shots. I am starting to like what I'm seeing out of him on the low block. He is really putting in the work. He is really 
you know, making an impact. And, and I think sometimes in college sports specifically, we get spoiled with superstar freshmen. Not everybody is great when they are freshmen. But I think that he can really turn into a serviceable big man for Georgia State going forward. Um, but it's tough, you know, it's tough when you've got who is probably going to represent the conference in the Sunbelt tournament just coming into your arena and you've got a guy dropping 37 points. You know, you've got another guy having 26 on 19 shots, you know, like that's that's tough. There's only so much that you can do about that. Um, but hey, credit them. They missed two free throws. They shot 17 of them. Marshall had a really good game plan and Georgia State just couldn't keep up with it. It happens. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Ed because I was going to also just because even going back to the ODU game, he got forced into a little bit of early action because Jaheim picked up two really quick fouls. Um, I thought he played good this week. And I asked Coach about it after the Marshall game, and he was kind of talking about how they'd worked in practice about where his hands were when he was down low on offense. And I think you saw that, that he was ready to receive some passes. He was picking up some more of the instincts of what he needed to do off of misses and it led to him being in good positions. And I think that's the part of the game where he has more room to grow because I think you've seen he can effectively use his size on the defensive end down low. And uh, when he avoids contact, which has sometimes been an issue, he's a really effective defender for his size. And he's kind of the only offering Georgia State has on the current roster. Granted, there's a seven-foot guy he's currently committed, so there's going to be an in- influx of size coming in next year but I think as you're trying to look forward to next season he's someone you're really going to look at to be kind of a little bit more present on the court staying out of foul trouble uh, a big part of what you're trying to do defensively and so seeing the growth even if it's little baby steps here or there he's not commanding attention on the offensive end but he's just making the shots he needs to he's getting into the right positions that is an important thing as you're trying to project forward. And that's, you know, just kind of a theme right now as, you know, we can be real about it. They're 10 and 16. They're second to last in the conference. You know, they've still got some maneuvering. Maybe they can move up and down based on the way that the end stretch goes. But it would take like one of the one in a millionth shots to get out of the first round and get a bye to the second round in the tournament right now because of just their three games out. So, you know, barring a really long run, which I think would probably be the longest run in the Sunbelt history because I don't think the conference has ever been this big, it, you know, the tournament run might not come this year. So what you're looking for is the things that you can take from this team to next year. And I think Ed's growth, and hopefully we see it continue, is one of those things. And the other thing is that you've got a guy in Colin Moore who I don't know that we knew could drop 28 in the game, dropped 28 against Marshall, five steals. I mean, there was that stretch where the 10-0 run, it was just they kept getting turnovers and they kept pushing it and Colin kept getting to the rim and getting separation and getting layups to fall. And it's like you've really seen just what he can be and, you know, he's going to be back next year. And so that's the kind of thing you can look at with this team where I just don't get hung up that much in the results because we kind of have known for a little while who this team was. And we knew that, you know, they could be better than losing by 30-whatever to Marshall, but it was still going to be an uphill battle to beat them because Marshall is a more talented team right now. But when you have a game like that, you can take that to the bank for the offseason as far as what you can, you know you've seen from Colin Moore and what you 
want to see from him going forward. You know, talking about two guys going in and dropping 26 and 37, you know, that's a guy that if he continues to work on those parts of his game can be doing that to other teams in the next couple of years of his career. He absolutely can. And I think that's the the part of the Georgia State roster that I don't think I foretold we'd get to this year. Um, I think you have pieces, like you said. There's definitely, you know, to borrow some corny line that the Cubs general manager says, you know, the next great Georgia State team, the pieces are here for that. Um, I don't know where that Colin running mate is going to come from. Um, it could be Duan. It could be he returns to the superstar level production that we saw in preseason when he's healthy. It could be Brendan Tucker. It could be Edward Namoko. You know, he decides next year that he's going to become, you know, a, one of the best bigs in the country and, you know, just starts to dominate. It could be a freshman, it could be a transfer. I don't know. Um, and I think that's on, you know, Coach Hayes and the staff at Georgia State to figure out where that is going to come from. But in the same way that some of those new schools have transferred into the Sun Belt and gone from, you know, below 500 records to, you know, high in the college insider mid-major poll, you know, something like that, it would not shock me if Georgia State does the same thing in the way that Panther fans are used to seeing them be, you know, an upper echelon Sun Belt team, an upper echelon mid-major team, just because, like I said, there's the bones of a good team. They're absolutely here. I don't think there needs to be this crazy roster turnover and a couple of years of growth to kind of get Georgia State back to where, you know, fans expect them to be. All right. And this week, the final two-game road trip of the season awaits the Panthers as they head to Coastal Carolina on Thursday and Arkansas State on Saturday. The Chanticleers and Red Wolves are fellow Sunbelt cellar dwellers sitting on either side of Georgia State in 12th and 14th place in the conference, respectively. Gentlemen, thoughts? Yeah, so throughout all the stuff that I was just saying about, you know, kind of know what this team is, might not be able to stack wins together, go to the tournament about next year. I think this is a week of games that even though they're on the road, they're both very winnable games. And you might not be 34 points better than Coastal like you were when they played in Atlanta and had the outlier of outlier offensive performances. But it's a team that you beat and it's a team that you could be better on on, you know, more than half the nights you guys play. And Arkansas State is the only team who's got less conference wins than you. Has struggled a lot losing Norchad O'Meara, losing some other guys that they had on last year's team. And I know that it's kind of, you know, it's what you make of it, but not having won a red game so far is kind of that little black eye on an already not great record. And so if you can at least win one, two of these games and get rid of that, it's not like being one or two wins on the road is much better, but it does feel different. And you do have these opportunities here. And if you squander these two opportunities to do it, your only last chance is on the road at James Madison, who might be playing for a top four seed, might be trying to hold on to a top four seed in that finale. And so certainly they'll have a lot to play for and it's a team that beat you in Atlanta. And so if you are looking for that as just kind of a taking off, making sure you don't go over on the road, this is your week to take care of business. And I honestly think both of them are winnable games. The other part about it, because I agree that they're both winnable games, Coastal hasn't won in almost a month. 
this game is going to happen tomorrow at the time of recording. It's February 15th today. Coastal's last win was on January 21st against South Alabama. And I mean, they've played Chicago State, not a great team. Louisiana Monroe, a surprising team, but, you know, historically speaking, not one of the better Sunbelt basketball teams. They're still under 500 overall in the season, currently 7-7 seven and seven in the belt. They lost at Arkansas State, and then they had to face Marshall, who is, you know, top two Sunbelt team, and then James Madison, who, like Brady said, is vying for fourth. If you look at the rest of Coastal's schedule, they're probably looking at Georgia State the same way Georgia State is looking at them, just given where some of the other teams are. However, Georgia State has won much more recently than Coastal has. And I mean, I think there is something to be said about ending streaks, but there's also something to be said about a team who's you know, not trending in the right direction right now anyways. And I think Georgia State should find a way to take advantage of that because... I think they are trending in a good in a decent direction. You know, they only have the three conference wins. Yes. You know, they found a way to beat their rival. But other than that, they had a similar stretch to what Coastal is going through right now. It wasn't six, but it was a long losing streak. That's got to matter. You know, like that's that's got to be something that Georgia State gets over the hump on and finds a way to get that one road win, because it's going to be really tough to find the wins after the coastal game. If they don't, you know, I know Arkansas state is below them, but that game is a home game for them. You know, there it's going to be one of the last times that their fans can see them. And it's going to be one of the last times that that team is going to be playing at home. So, but Georgia state needs to find a way to at least split the road trip, find a way to get at least one win on this road trip. Yeah. I mean, it feels weird. It feels copy to be like this team who's one in three of the last four has been playing better, but I think we can point to things that have led to them losing the three games as opposed to the last stretch before that where it was just kind of like they're not in these games at all. The offense in particular has taken a step up in recent games. That's the thing that you know you wish you had been able to get more stops against Marshall, but especially in the first half, I don't think we would have ever thought that they'd be able to go shot for shot with Marshall, especially after the first game in between those two. And the offense was really rolling, and Marshall was no slouch defensively either. and so. There's encouraging signs from how they've played on offense. However, if you aren't able to get over the hump and get these wins against these teams that are at least on the same level as you, if you're not better than them, it does kind of get rid of the good feeling or the feeling better about where things are at. And it goes to, oh, well, this is just a team that can't win against anyone. So there is that as well, that I'm not going to be able to sit here if they go 0-2 this week and really say a lot of the things I said this week about, you know, they're building and this stuff's going right because, you know, no matter how the season's going, these are games that you need to find a way to win. If, if that, you know, trend upwards is to be believed, you've got to find a way to win these games and, you know, getting the full tiebreaker on coastal could matter as far as whether you're the 12 or the 11 seed. Like I said earlier, you're not going to get out of that bottom four barring just the absolute run of runs and South Alabama losing out. Um, So you're still vying for placement in the first round, but that still matters. You know, it, it can shape as you're trying to project out a possible run. It matters where you end up and who you have to face. And 
it matters for pride as well. I think, you know, it's, it's silly. Cause I don't think that if Georgia state wins out and is the 11 seed versus being the 13 seed as they are right now, that anyone will feel much different about how the season went or think that it was a success or think that 11 is any kind of place Georgia state should be in the Sun Belt. But I think it would still feel less bad. And these are kind of the wins you're going to have to get if you want to achieve that goal of just finishing as good as you can at this point. Yeah, they should certainly try for that. Finishing as high as they can should absolutely be the goal. It's not like they're going to get a high draft pick or anything like that. We're not tanking for Victor or something. So, And I mean, the Coastal, we talked, you know, yes, the Georgia State performance against Coastal in Atlanta, definitely an aberration, definitely not the norm. But the defensive performance in that game from Coastal has kind of been the norm, that they are really struggling the defensive end, really struggling. Teams are shooting 35.5% from three against them. You know, they're in the bottom 30 or so in defensive efficiency. Uh, Their two-point defense isn't much better, and they don't really get many steals. They don't force turnovers. Really bad set of combinations to lead them to be just kind of a not very good defensive team. And so maybe Georgia State doesn't make 15 threes and go just absolutely ham. But there should still be opportunities, especially if they're able to find what has been working recently on the road uh, in this game. And then Arkansas State, kind of similar to Georgia State offensively, which is to say not great by the numbers, and a good bit worse defensively by the numbers. And so it's one where that one might be, you know, kind of like the uh, start of the ODU game was, where it's kind of like not very fun viewing sets the game of basketball back a good bit for both ways. Just teams struggling to put it in the hoop. You know, you hope not from Georgia State's point of view, but we've seen enough games this year that we can't rule out that as a possibility. But it's, a you know, you look at the two teams just on how they have performed. If it's going to come down to offenses and who's going to get stops, even against, you know, it, neither offenses been statistically that great the georgia state defense has been a good bit better than our arkansas state and so if it is one of those weird ugly slug fests i think that you'd look at that as a situation where georgia state's able to win those type of games better than arkansas state and that's kind of what you have to it's kind of what i have to offer i don't really have a lot um to say about you know they're definitely gonna go and storm through both these teams because we haven't seen that they're definitely capable of doing anything like that. But if the trends of the last couple of weeks were to be believed, they've been playing better. Opportunities there this week could be a happy pod next week. All right, let's move on and talk about baseball. It's opening weekend, four games versus Cincinnati, opening game Friday at 3 p.m. And a doubleheader follows on Saturday at 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. with the finale being at noon on Sunday. The Bearcats are coming off of a 24-31 and 31 season in 2022 and were picked 7th out of 8 in the American Conference. Gentlemen. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward. Should be there for one or both of the Saturday games. Going to have to juggle that with the Arkansas State game on ESPN+. Plus. But baseball season's here. You know, Pitchers and catchers reported for the MLB to spring training this week as well, which is the first, like, hallmark of Baseball is right around the corner, but even before they play games, Georgia State baseball is getting it going. And 
you know, we talked about them last week and I think that there's reason to be confident, but there's still some questions to be answered, such as just how the rotation is going to shake out. And this is going to be the first, first chance to see who can fill the roles needed in the rotation. There are probable pitchers from the Georgia State Athletics. You know, Ryan Watson will take opening day. The hope is going to be that he can lock down that Friday spot. Uh, Cameron Landry and Joseph Brandon are going to be the Saturday pitchers and Mason Patel on Sunday. And both Watson and Patel had a little bit of an innings limit last year, and so they were filling different roles. Brian Watson ended up closing rather than starting last year. Back in their familiar roles, and I think they're the two you would point to just based on the talent they have that you'd hope that they can lock down some of these, you know, this Friday night role, one of the weekend pitchers, wherever Patel ends up slotting in for a regular three-game set. Uh, but this is the first opportunity to see that, see if these are the guys for the roles that you're envisioning them for. Yeah, it's exciting that baseball is coming back. You know, I want them to build upon what they had last year. Um, obviously, the early part of the season went a little bit better than Sunbelt play because the Sunbelt's tough, and it's always going to be tough until, you know, you look up one year and Georgia State's going to end up being, you know, closer to the top. But, yeah, it's it's exciting that baseball is coming back. I think this year, you know, if they build on what they did last year, They'll they'll find a way to, you know, can I even say that they can go to a regional at this early stage? Like, is that the expectation, do you think, for this team? Or is it just have a good season again? I don't know that expectation. I don't think that they have gotten to that point. Well, internally different. You know, they should probably go into games saying they're going to win. And they should be expecting to win 35 and go to a regional. Because, you know, if that's not where their mindset is, then they're not going to win 35 games. I don't know that sitting here as podcasters and fans listening to this podcast, the expectation should be that because the Sunbelt is, you know, a power conference baseball league. But if you're able to get some momentum going in the non-con and you hit Sunbelt play and you take care of your business at home and just win a few more games on the road, you might get there that, you know, 32, 33, 35 win mark and be in a conversation for the sheer fact of the league that you're in. Um, and I think that the schedule is set up to where, you know, since he is you know, seventh of eighth in the American, haven't had a winning season in a couple of years, but it's not a pushover team. Like last year, George State opened with Fort Wayne, who I think had won double digits like once in the four seasons prior. And it was clearly a team that they were going to be better than. And they swept that four games. and. Wins are good, and I think after the scheduling of two seasons ago where they played a bunch of really tough games because they just wanted to get teams on the schedule, and so, okay, let's go play this power team and this power team. I don't know that it meant a ton as far as what you learned, whereas this is a winnable series at home, but it's not like a we-should-go-win-this-series-at-home situation where getting three of four or sweeping the Cincinnati team does mean something more than what last year's series opener against Fort Wayne did. And kind of following on with that next week against Browns, the same thing road trip to Presbyterian after that, like they're winnable games and it's situations where you hope that you could have a winning record after this first couple of weeks, but it's not like a gimme. And so building up that winning while also not having it just be, of course you're winning these games is important for getting ready, you know, getting uh, comfortable, getting winning, 
but not having it be totally just, you know, on paper wins. And of course, we can't get you out of here without talking about all the stuff that's coming up in Georgia State Athletics this week. And boy, is there a lot. Spring sports are now in full swing, and the calendar is absolutely packed. Of course, we previously discussed the uh, men's basketball team traveling to Coastal Carolina and Arkansas State. Uh, men playing at 7 p.m. on Thursday. And then, of course, on Saturday, playing at 3 p.m. And then on Wednesday... The final game of the season for the men's team hosting Appalachian State in the Convocation Center at 7 p.m. And then the women also in action as well. 11 a.m. on Thursday, the day of this release, playing Southern Miss in the Convocation Center. And then on Saturday, hosting Marshall in the Convocation Center at 2 p.m. And then on Wednesday, they will be traveling to Coastal Carolina to finish their regular season in Conway at 6 p.m. And then softball has a banner weekend with the Bob Heck Classic at GSU over in Panthersville playing entirely too many opponents to name. But uh, go support them. Go check them out. They've got games Friday, Saturday, and Sunday pretty much all day. And then, of course, on Saturday as well, we have women's tennis taking on Western Carolina in Cullowee, North Carolina at 11 a.m. We've got, as we mentioned before, baseball as a part of their doubleheader versus Cincinnati at 1 p.m. and 4 p.m got men's tennis at Elon at 2 p.m. And then you have, of course, softball, as I previously mentioned. Sunday, men's golf at Francis Marion in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. All-day event at the Wexford Intercollegiate. Women's tennis hosting Gonzaga at uh, 10 a.m. in Atlanta. Men's tennis at UNC Wilmington at noon. And then on Monday... Men's golf continue at the Wexford Intercollegiate and Hilton Head Women's Golf at the FAU Atlantic Invitational in Boca Raton. And then the women's track and field team go to the Sunbelt Conference Indoor Championships in Birmingham. And that is all day, Monday and Tuesday. And then, of course, on Tuesday, women's golf continuing the FAU Atlantic Invitational. And that is everything we've got going on this week in Panther Athletics. It's a lot. Get out there, support your teams, and we'll see you hopefully at one of these events. And if not, we'll see you in the next episode. Have a fantastic week and go Panthers.